What's up, everybody? What's up to everybody online? Hello to everybody here at Quincy. My name's JD, as Steph mentioned. Uh, I'm super excited to be back here. This is my first time in this space. Uh, first time with you all online. Uh, I'm just thrilled to be back. It's, it's amazing to uh, be invested in something so closely like a church plant and then walk back uh, or come back to the church that started it. You guys started a church. Did you know that? Applause for yourself. Give yourself an emoji applause in the comments. Uh, I'm just really uh, grateful to be back with you all. Uh, I'm just so encouraged to be back here and to, to sit with you, to worship with you. Uh, in this year, in the tumultuous year that it's been, it's just exciting uh, to be with you. I've been hanging with you guys on the comments, sticking with you. Uh, if you've got questions for me, uh, you can email me at jd at northcitychurchmpls.com. If something comes up in this sermon, I'd love to connect with you. Uh, our church meets at 6 p.m. on Sundays, so if you ever want to come check out your little sister church, come hang out with us and worship with us. We worship in North Minneapolis on the corner of 100 and Brookdale, or, uh, Brooklyn Boulevard, so if you ever want to come hang with us. Uh, come and worship with us as well. I'm going to pray to welcome God into this space and this time we have together to explore Second Peter. Uh, so would you join me in prayer? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful to be with you this morning. God, if we get anything out of this, God, would you uh, just reveal your presence to us, God? Show us uh, your nearness to us through this text through anything the Holy Spirit might be saying to us. God, we so desperately need your leadership and direction in this time, so uh, we expectantly uh, wait for you to show up to, to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you or how many of you know someone who becomes a different person when they watch sports? Anybody out there? <laughs> I see some huge hands raised. Maybe you want to call someone out in the comments, uh, tag them in this and say, this is you. Uh, if my wife were commenting right now, uh, she would tag me in the post. Uh, there's this funny story from our first year of marriage where uh, she heard some yelling going on from downstairs. And if you know anything about me, I'm kind of a stoic guy. I don't yell that much. And so she came down, rushing down, expecting there to be some emergency that she had to join me in solving. And it happened it was just the Packers game. And if you remember, those of you who were at, who were at Mill City when I was a pastor, I, it's true, I'm a Packers fan. So please don't cancel me. Please don't uh, stop watching this live stream. Tell me, we'll have to tell me if anybody drops. Um, and. Someone's already walking out of the back of the room. Just kidding, that's not happening. But for me, it was real. Like, there were seasons of my Packer life, my Packer fan life, where I couldn't even watch the games with other people. Like, I, I, I had to be focused and concentrated. I see some nudges going on in the audience right now. Uh, and for me, it, it, it started to, I started to reflect on that and say, I don't know if that's uh, the best for me. I don't know if that's the best reflection of me. I might be losing a little bit of myself in the game. And it got worse when the seasons were promising, right? 
when the team started to look good, like implicitly they were making some promises and sometimes explicitly about how successful they were going to be that season and you were invested in the outcome of the season. That's when it really got bad. And I don't know, maybe you can resonate with like the fourth quarter of games or something like that. Or maybe if you're not into sports, it's board games or something like that when it comes to the end of something. And there's responses. People either get angry, they get quiet and say, can we just can this just be over? Or they're in the kitchen getting nachos. Like, it's hard to handle the end of this. And uh, you guys maybe can sense where I'm going with this. We're in a fourth quarter of its own right now. The political environment feels a lot like I've felt at different moments in that. There's a lot of anxiety in our proverbial room. The question I want to ask this morning, the question we've been asking this whole year as churches as we've, as we've been exploring the New Testament, is what does it mean for us to center ourselves on who Jesus is? What does it mean to have a distinctly Christian identity, particularly in this time that's contentious? We're in the fourth quarter of this political environment that we're in. What does it mean for Jesus to make a difference in the moment we're in right now? That's the question that I want to ask. Now, uh, you're like, J.D., you're a guest paper preacher. You're not supposed to talk about politics. Let me just lay some ground rules that have already been laid by your own pastor and last week by Dr. Edwards. And that is that both of our churches uh, affirm this, that we ultimately affirm our allegiance in Jesus and the kingdoms that are fighting right now in our own uh, country are subordinate kingdoms. And to be a Christian is to be uh, aligned with Jesus first. And because of that, we can have grace with each other. We can talk about the emotions that we're going through in the midst of this season. We can talk about the tumultuous time so that we can love our neighbors, as we say at North City, in the way of Jesus. As you say, love our community in the way of Jesus. As Steph said a few weeks ago, the idea here is spirit-led participation. And that's what Jesus can lead us into. And I think this is uh, amazing that we're in the New Testament and particularly in Second Peter because I think Second Peter, even though it's an ancient document, has so much to say to what we're experiencing right now. And I don't know if you resonate with any of those stereotypes. I don't know if this season of politics, you're the person who is getting nachos in the kitchen but actually checking your phone about how the results are going. Or if you feel a sense of anger or despair, I don't know how you are emotionally. I know that God wants to meet you where you're at. So let's look at Second Peter. Uh, and this is an amazing book, obviously written by Peter, uh, who was an apostle of Jesus. And this is amazing. This is his second letter to this group of churches. And it's his last letter that he writes before he passes away. That's a nice way of saying it. He was actually martyred, and he is writing this, scholars think, from uh, Rome, from the city of Rome, and writing it as an encouragement to Christians who are undergoing all sorts of tension and persecution. And he's speaking to them and trying to comfort them, trying to correct some of their thinking, trying to realign their attention to what matters most. Some of the problems that they're experiencing is that uh, some of them are forgetting 
their faith. In the midst of this turmoil, they're being pulled apart and forgetting what's most valuable to them. And a, a, a pinpoint problem that Peter tries to address in this book that I think is relevant for us is he calls out what he calls false teachers. Now, these aren't bad English teachers. They are uh, people who profess to be Christian who are manipulating the Christian message for their own gain. And for some reason, these churches in this time, probably because they were uh, facing such intense persecution, life was hard for them, harder than it is for us for right now, or harder than it is for us right now, that they're particularly susceptible to this. And these teachers weren't just preachers, they were just influencers in the community that used uh, some semblance of the Christian message to manipulate people for their own purposes. Their tactic of choice was to talk about freedom. Freedom is mentioned in Peter uh, a couple times, to talk about freedom that can exist with their way of doing Christianity. The Christian uh, uh, community who was undergoing persecution was particularly susceptible for this, uh, this uh, promise of freedom. It says in chapter 2, verse 19 in the ESV, Peter kind of just calls them out on the carpet, and he says these false teachers, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. So some of this communication might sound harsh, but as I was praying over this text and how it would mean for or what it would mean for us to receive it and what it would be like to receive it uh, I, I got this picture of how often with my kids I try to settle them down and I put my hands on their face and I try to communicate something important to them so instead of uh, freaking the cameraman out I'm not going to go up there to the camera and put my face my hands around it but imagine uh, Peter doing that to you today I know you don't know Peter but imagine these words of a seasoned apostle putting his hands on your face pre-COVID time and uh, looking you in the eye and saying, I, this is so important. I need you to understand this in all the noise. I need you to understand this. So let's read this. We're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And this is kind of a distilled version of this seasoned leader, this seasoned apostle who he himself walked the streets with Jesus was a part of some mystical experiences with him, even experienced his own rejection of Jesus and then redemption back into relationship with Jesus. This dude's been through a lot, and he's got a lot to say to us. So let's read through this, and I'm actually going to read a version called the Passion Translation, which I think just so beautifully communicates the, the emotion of what Peter is trying to communicate to the people he's communicating to. Let's dive in. It says, this is a letter from Simon Peter, a loving servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to those who have been given a faith as equally precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and perfect peace cascade over you as you live. And get this, this is so important to Peter as you live in rich knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let me just pause there and highlight that this word rich knowledge or knowledge shows up three times in the passage that we're reading today. 
It's such an important concept. It's actually in some ways how Peter conceptualizes what it means to have faith in Jesus, what it means to follow him as your leader and savior. This idea of rich knowledge, it's a Greek word. Greeks actually use two different words to describe knowledge. The first one is about sort of book knowledge, like if you study something, you know about it through books. And the second one is an experiential, relational knowledge. And that's what he's talking about here. The richness of it is an experience, a relational knowledge that you get through a relationship with Jesus. Then he goes on and says, everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his, Jesus's, divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who calls us by name and invited us to come to him through his glorious manifestation of his goodness. As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises that uh, that are beyond all price, so that through the power of these tremendous promises, you can experience partnership, get this, partnership with the divine nature. Other translations say participation in the divine nature, by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are in the world. Let's just pause for a second. One of the primary questions Peter is asking his audience, and I think it's a worthy question for us in this moment, is whose promises are you really trusting in? Whose promises are you really trusting in? Like how I felt after Packers games, and I know that's a silly analogy, I noticed that I have given too much of myself to that moment. The question that you might want to consider in this season is whose promises are you really trusting? And I think remembering Peter's hands around our face, speaking to us carefully, he is so passionate about these people who are experiencing so much, understanding the promise that Jesus has given them. Understanding whose promises they can really trust. And what are those promises? Those promises, as he describes, is this. Experiencing, participating, experiencing partnership with the very divine nature. Just hold the phone for a second. That flies right over our modern heads. Do you understand the magnitude of that promise? The distinctness of trusting Jesus in our lives. The person who made everything you see around you. Like if you're watching there at home, just stop. Look out the window if you see a window. You guys look out this window as much as you can see. The person who created all of this and created you, his promise is that you get invited into the very nature of who he is. That is the Christian faith. When we say we profess allegiance to Jesus above all else, that's what we are professing faith in. And you say, well, what do these promises look like? Jesus' promises are Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. He's a walking promise maker and keeper. Through Jesus and what he's accomplished, accomplished, uh, accomplished has given us everything, like it says in verse 3, everything we could ever need for life and goodness or godliness. You know, uh, I loved, uh, I got to talk about who books sermons around here because uh, making me follow Dr. Dennis Edwards. Thanks. 
Appreciate that. It's on you, Steph. But I loved his sermon last week. And I think this is when he was talking about us as Christians being resident aliens or foreigners in this land who are marked by hope-filled suffering and experience unity together in our relationship with Jesus. This is what he's talking about. Trusting in these promises. I loved how he concluded his sermon. We are a peculiar people. We're an odd people, and precisely because we trust in this mystical reality of participating in God's design for the world, participating in God's very nature. I think if Peter was standing here today, he would say, don't exchange participation in the divine nature for the promise of any politician. Let me say that again. Don't exchange participation in the divine nature, this promise of Jesus, for anything a politician promises. Maybe a better way to say that would be don't let the political moment or any uh, uh, political moment or anything distract you from the centrality of the invitation to participate in the life of God because that is all we need. You're like, J.D., I'm on board. Sounds good. Inspirational, man. How the heck do you do this? How the heck do you actually practice this? I'm going to throw that back on my brother Peter, and let's continue reading. Because he shows us how we can walk in this amazing reality. Let's continue in verse 5. He says, so devote yourself to lavishly supplementing your faith. Now let me pause there before I read the things he says that you should lavishly supplement it with. What he's talking about here, he already said planted deeply within you. He's, he's continuing an agrarian, agrarian analogy where it's, God and his relationship with you is like a seed planted in your life. It's a promise that he will be with you, that you can participate in who he is. But it's a promise that he invites you to nourish, to supplement, to add to, so that grows and flourishes and grows up into participation with who God is in everyday life. And he says this is how you do it. Supplement your faith with goodness. And to goodness, add understanding. And to understanding, add the strength of self-control. And to self-control, add patient endurance. And to patient endurance, add godliness. And to godliness, add mercy towards your brother and sister. And to mercy towards others, add unending love. Since these virtues, get this, remember, already are already planted deep within you, and you possess them in abundant supply, they will keep you from being inactive and fruitless in your pursuit, there's that word again, of knowing Jesus Christ more intimately. But if anyone lacks these things, he is blind, constantly closing his eyes to the mysteries of our faith and forgetting his innocence, for his past sins are already washed away. When we become distracted from these things in our life, when we become distracted for the, from the invitation to participate in the divine nature of who God is, it's like we're being distracted and we forgot that he's rescued us in the first place. I don't know about you, but reading those lists of virtues, I myself don't see that a lot in my own life. And I myself don't see that a lot in the moment that we're in. Goodness? No thanks. How about uh, I'm going to cancel you if you don't believe in what I believe in. Uh, understanding, uh, no thanks. I'm going to stay in my echo chamber and listen to my set of facts. 
Uh, Self-control, no, I'm gonna do whatever makes me feel good. Patient endurance, I don't think so. I can just click on to the next thing or call the next person or hang out with the person who agrees with me. Godliness, uh, I'm interested in becoming more of who I wanna be instead of who God desires me to be. Mercy, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) No thanks. Towards others, and then there's this word that's agape love. The Greek word for the highest form of love that Jesus so beautifully demonstrates that's the anchor of this promise for us, to give ourselves continually out of love for others. To practice our trust in Jesus' promises, or or, sorry, trusting in Jesus' promises takes practice. So right here is the practices we can take. So over the next few weeks, What does it mean to choose goodness when you feel angry? What does it mean to pause and hang around in uncomfortable conversations to seek understanding? What does it mean to exhibit self-control before you press post on that Facebook post or on that reply? What does it mean to have patient endurance in the midst of trials? What does it mean to seek God in your life? What does it mean for our churches to have mercy? What does it mean for us to continually give unending love? Our neighbors need this from us. Our neighbors need this from you in the next few weeks. Whatever happens in November, whatever we know, November 4th, December 4th, January 4th, however long it takes. Our neighbors need us to center ourselves on the promise of Jesus to participate in his divine nature so that by his power that he's already planted in us when we don't have the capacity to give goodness, mercy, to have self-control, that we have a well so deep that we can draw from to bring into whatever circumstance, whatever conversation, to offer to this world what it so desperately needs. In a sentence, or in a word, Jesus. So to close here, I just want to give you some encouragement tell you about an opportunity and I have a challenge for you to take as you consider reorienting your life uh, towards Jesus in this season. My encouragement to you, I just want to read the last few verses here of this section. For this reason, beloved ones, be eager to conform or confirm and validate that God has invited you to salvation and claimed you as his own. Be eager to confirm that, pursue it. If you do these things, you will never stumble. You will have a foundation. You will have an anchor in the midst of these really tumultuous times. As a result, I love this line, the kingdom's gates will be open wide to you as God choreographs your triumphant entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. Those are some lines that only an apostle Peter could string together. And what he means by this is if you keep your eyes focused on Jesus in the midst of this and aren't distracted by all the really important and consequential things, I, I understand. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, he will enter us into his kingdom. That's why Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and everything else will be added to you. My encouragement to you, Mill City, is that I know you. I know this church. I know how it's fixed its eyes on Jesus and what's happened. I know that 
Kids and families are fed in this city because you responded to what God was asking you to do. Because you partnered with the divine nature to see a problem and see Jesus as a part of the solution. I know that you welcome refugees. I know that you not just talk about racial reconciliation, that you're living it, that you're doing your own work, that you're befriending people who are different than you. I know that you're responding to who Jesus is and his promises every single day. Our community needs you to continue to do that in November, today and going forward, because that's the church you are. I want to tell you about an opportunity. You're going to need something to center yourself. You're going to need something to center yourself back on Christ November 4th. Let me tell you, if you don't, I want to talk to you and figure out your strategy. And we've got an opportunity for you. Mill City, uh, and, and they're inviting North City to join as well, has invited Christine Osgood to lead a centering prayer uh, time uh, the evening of November 4th. And I would just mark your calendar. More, more uh, details are coming out. Christine's this amazing Christian leader who is gifted at helping people prayerfully recenter their life. And let me tell you, you're going to need that November 4th. More details will come out. Watch for communication. But give yourself, if not that, some space to recenter who you are and who you trust in and whose promises you're ultimately trusting in. The challenge I want to give you is you might be asking, okay, what can I do? What's the, what's the step of recentering my relationship with Jesus so that I can be present to my neighbors in the midst of this time? The practice for me has simply been worship. I want to invite the band to come up. The practice for me has simply been worship. You know, it happened to me even this morning. I was sitting there, had a, had a few free moments, started to scroll my Facebook feed, and it wasn't more than a millisecond I got a political ad or someone's uh, Facebook post that was arguing about something. And for the next few minutes, who knows how long it was, I was sucked into the vortex of tumult, anxiety, anger, whatever you want to call it. In that moment, you have a choice. You have a choice to choose to trust in Jesus, and your choice can look like worship. And I mean that real practically. What I did, knowing that I was going to preach about this, so I'm like, I better practice what I'm going to preach. I switched my phone over to Spotify, and I played the songs that have been connecting me to Jesus most. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, worship was a weapon. They put people on the front lines so that they would worship and welcome Jesus into what they were doing. And you can choose that this week. This song we're about to sing is new to this community, and it's been a song that has anchored me through these times. And if you're going to choose worship, if you're going to choose to change the radio station, change the Spotify playlist, choose maybe this song to start. Here are some lines from it, and then let's respond and worship. It says, through the storms, though the storms may come, and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast. You've been feeling like you've been in a storm lately? I put my faith in Jesus, the anchor to the ground, my hope and my firm foundation. Lever, he'll never let me down. These next few weeks, our communities need us. They need you to choose worship in Jesus. So let's do that right now.